Hello, my friends. Michael Youssef here, and I just wanted to thank you for connecting with Leading the Way. Our entire team is wholly committed to passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth of God's Word, and it cannot be done without you. Learn more about what God has charged us to do around the world by clicking around ltw.org. That's ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. We have a lot to be unsettled about as a society and as a culture. But that's where Psalm 125 comes in. It is a word from the Lord to every unsettled believer. It is a word from the Lord to every believer who may be tempted to give in or give up. It is a word from the Lord to every discouraged believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that Psalm 125 reminds us of is that it's the believer's security in Christ, especially in the times of insecurity. Uh, This psalm compares the believer with Mount Zion. He's saying that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. I'm going to tell you more about Mount Zion than you really wanted to know, but it will bless you in the end. Several things about Mount Zion. First, you need to know that Mount Zion is a mountain on which Jerusalem is built. Mount Zion is high and lofty place. Mount Zion is a bedrock of height and security. Above all, Mount Zion is surrounded by four other mountains all around it. Zion is in the middle, four other mountains, including the Mount of Olives, by the way, all around it. And the psalmist is saying the believers who trust in the Lord are just like Mount Zion. They are built on the solid rock. Remember, Jesus is the rock, the stone that is rejected by the builder but became the cornerstone upon whom our lives are built. They are high and lifted up by the Lord, but they're also surrounded by the power of the Lord's protection from four corners. Uh, They not only have God as their firm foundation on whom they stand with confidence, but they have also the Lord surrounding them with His arms, defending them from every danger. But there's more. Mount Zion represents God's great power. Mount Zion represents God's ruling authority. Mount Zion represents God's enduring reign over the earth. It's an incredible symbol. Armies come and go. Empires rise and fall. Kingdoms wax and wane. But Mount Zion endures them all. Some of God's people, through the years, did what we are doing now. They took their eyes off the blesser and they focused on the blessing. Instead of recognizing Mount Zion as a mere representation of them founded upon the rock, the Lord Himself, in times of weakness, in time of backsliding, and in times of apostasy, they placed their hope on the geography of the mountain. They placed their hope on the location of the mountain. They placed their hope on the topography of the mountain instead of the one who is Mount Zion. They took their security for granted. They 
replaced the security from the God of Mount Zion to Mount Zion itself. They took their eyes of their God who placed them squarely on that mountain, and they were in for a rude awakening when that happens. Because we are doing the same thing now. There are many in our society today who have placed their hope on the government. Some are placing their hope on the political system. We have taken our eyes off the God who guided the founding fathers. We have taken our eyes off the God who is our only blesser. We have taken our eyes off the God of the founding fathers. We have taken it for granted that we will always be governed by those who will honor our biblical roots. And now we are experiencing a rude awakening. We have taken our eyes off the God of Mount Zion and placed them on the mountain itself. Please hear me right. This is always the case. It will always be the case. Whenever we take our eyes off the blesser and put them on the blessing, that's what will happen every time. The fact that God is patient and He waits doesn't mean it's not going to happen. When Peter was commanded by the Lord Jesus to come and walk on water, the moment he took his eyes off Jesus, he got into trouble. And every time God's people take their eyes off Him and put them on the mountain, uh, and when they place their trust on the mountain itself, on its location, in its strength, and its height, its geography, its foundation, will get clobbered every time. And what the psalmist is saying to us is that we need to get back to basics. We need to be brought back to the place of trusting in God alone, of complete dependence on God alone, of faith in God alone, in confidence in God alone. And only then will we become like Mount Zion. Most of us live in oblivion to the protective hand of God that surrounded us for so long. We really do. And I know that's human nature. We're not conscious of the fact that God protected you a million times yesterday because you can't see God and you can't see His hand. That He protected you a million times the day before. He protected you today. And so we take that hand of protection for granted and we forget all about it until we get into trouble. The truth is that God has been protecting us all along. But we have taken our eyes off God and onto the mountains. Because we can't see His hand, we took that protection for granted. Most of us, we get focused on the challenges and the small problems of life that we cannot see the protective mountains of the arms of the Lord around us. Look at verse 1 again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. It will endure forever. Verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people both now and forevermore. You know, during the day of the prophet Elisha, King Ben-Hadad of Syria was constantly menacing Israel and fighting and descending riders, I mean, making their life miserable. But then one day, as the king began to plot a plan to come and destroy Israel, God would reveal what Ben-Hadad of Syria is doing 
to the prophet Elisha, and Elisha sent the word to the king of Israel, and the plot is foiled. <laughs> this has happened again and again and again. The king of Syria thought, well, I've got some spies in my camp. And they said, no, king, you don't have spies. There's a man in Israel who actually hears what you say in your bedroom. Now, that's terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> so he got mad enough. He said, well, we'll go after him. We'll destroy him first. So he sent a whole army to go after one man, <laughs> an armed man. You think of the foolishness of the people of the world. Sending an army to capture one unarmed man. So the Syrian army came and surrounded Dothan, where Elisha was with his servant, probably Gehaziah. And so the servant of Elisha gets up early in the morning, opens the window, looks outside, and he sees the Syrian army. Man, to say he had panicked would put it mildly. Use your imagination. I mean, he was terrified. He was shaking with fear. And he went to Elisha. He said, oh, my Lord, oh, my Lord, what shall we do? Look at all the Syrian army. They're after just the two of us. Listen, I know Christians today are wringing their hands, and they are frustrated and, and are saying, you know, it's all over, it's all over. Uh, we are surrounded on every side. We are besieged from every direction, that we are overwhelmed with forces of evil, that, that we feel powerless before the forces of evil. But listen, listen to what Elisha said to his assistant, this young man. Listen to what he said. He said, don't be afraid. Are you kidding? Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, put yourself in this young man's place, okay? Just please, just for a little bit. I mean, okay, just, just put yourself there. I mean, he looks at Elisha, and he hears him talking about those who are with us are more than with I mean, he looks in there, and he looks at him, and he looks at Elisha, and he says, What are you talking about, Kamasabi? <laughs> are you kidding me? There are two of us, and we are unarmed. And look at this Syrian army. Look at the horses. Look at the chariots. Look at the army. They're, they're ready for battle. We're no match for them. Oh. Elisha was not looking at the Syrian army. He was seeing something else. But the young man couldn't. Listen to what he said. Second Kings 6, 16. Here's what Elijah prayed. He said, Lord, open the eyes of the young man. And when God opened the eyes of the young man, wow, he saw the hills are filled with chariots of fire that were sent by the Lord himself. They may be down here. They were up there. They were protecting him from every direction. And I am convinced at that moment this young man was babbling. Look, 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 look. You're right. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this chariots of fire. And the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> Don't go home and look for it. But I'm convinced because I think that's how I would react if I was there. <laughs> if that was me. And beloved, that is why the desperate need that we have as a nation is to get on our faces before God and crying to Him consistently and persistently so that He may open our eyes, so that we are able to see that those who are with us are far more than those who are against us. 
Listen to what Sadler Baxter said. He said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our arguments, despise our person, oppose our message, but they are helpless against our prayers. Some of you are facing personal challenges. Some of you are facing marital and relationship challenges. Some of you are facing financial challenges. Some of you are facing future fears. Chances are you have taken your eyes off the God of Mount Zion, and you placed them on these challenges. But remember, those who are with us are what? More than those against us. He who is in us is far greater than he who is in the world. I was thinking about the believer, the victorious believer in troubled time, and I thought of these floating markers in lakes and waterways, these buoys that firmly anchored in strategic locations. Even when the waves of the sea splashing around them, they float serenely in their appointed places. The tides rise and fall, but they're never carried away. Uh, when the ocean swells, they mount up and ride above the swells. Uh, when the, the mighty bellows descend and submerge them for a moment, they inevitably rise to the top and bob back into their proper place. Beloved, this is a picture of a faithful, praying, victorious believer. Always ascending with the buoying of faith over spiritual opposition. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives our well-anchored soul complete victory, even in the overwhelming flood and the frightening circumstances. Verse 2, again, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord is around His people both now and forevermore. Back in the old days, when the enemies would be coming from the valleys, and they want to conquer Jerusalem, they see the four mountains surrounding Zion, and they say, well, we can't get there. You're going to have to first take one of those mountains, or two, or three, or four of them first before you get to the city. And for Satan to get to you to cause you any real harm, he has first to go through the protective arm of the Lord. And he can't do that unless you invite him in. And not just fall in temptation, but stay in the temptation. Unless you invite him, unless you welcome him in. Otherwise, he has no power over the believer. Amen belongs here. Even though the true believers are eternally protected by the hand of God, they will not lose their salvation. And yet, when we deliberately open the door to temptation and stay in temptation, we will face temporary defeat. So the question is, how do we get into these situations of being temporarily defeated? Well, there are as many ways as there are people when you do not place God at the very center of your life, when you place Him in the peripheries of your life, when you choose to be unfaithful to the Lord, when you choose to be unfaithful to your spouse, when you choose to be unfaithful to your marriage vows, when you choose to be unfaithful to the truth of the gospel, when you choose to wander into Satan's territory deliberately, when you choose to wander off the land of blessing, when you do that, when you decide to live by your own strength, your own strategy, your own philosophy, and your own steam, 
But even then, <laughs> this is the great God. This is the greatness of our God. Even then, verse 3, when you turn to the Lord, He will defeat your enemy. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the righteous, not permanently and not forever. Even when God's people tended to be corrupted and wander off from the land of blessings, when they turn to Him, when they return in repentance and faith, when they come to Him for forgiveness and safety, He has promised not only deliverance, not only forgiveness, but also restoration. And this promise is not only for individual believers, it's for whole families for churches, and yes, for nations. Verse 3, the wicked will not rule forever. God is the one who can intervene when He is invited to come and reign and rule once again. But remember this, remember this, there is nothing that we go through that other believers in the past have not experienced. Let me give you an example. Emperor Diocletian, who was absolutely killing Christians right and left, he set up a stone pillar in which inscribed the following words, for having exterminated the name of Christian from the earth. <laughs> now imagine if he sees that monument today, imagine how embarrassed he would be. Another Roman leader made a coffin symbolizing his intention to bury the Galilean by killing his followers. But he soon learned that he could not put the Master in it, and finally surrendered his heart to the Savior, realizing that no one but no one can destroy the body of Christ as long as the living head is protecting it. Verse 4, finally, you see, the psalmist lifts up a prayer for God to be gracious to His people. We live in a time when the media and the secular world love to misrepresent Christians. But you know the truth, and I know the truth. They like to call us bigots and self-righteous and all the rest of it. But the true believers know that they have no righteousness of their own. None! I have no righteousness of my own. None. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is imputed upon us. That righteousness causes us not only to persevere, but to go to the very persecutors, to the very troublers of God's people with the truth of the gospel. Where does that confidence come from? Where does that strength come from? from knowing that we are surrounded by the mountains of the Lord, that we are like Mount Zion, far from cringing and wringing our hands, far from hiding and quitting. Uh, we are going and we are continue to go to the very imperitable walls that reject us and preach the gospel. And let me tell you as I conclude one of those stories. It's a uh, it's a true story. You will recognize it, of course, as I tell it. It's a story of a young man who refused to let darkness overcome him. A young man who refused to allow the waves of evil to deter him from serving the living God. It's a story of a young man who endured severe persecution 
and enslavement, severe pain. And yet, when he opened his life and his heart to the Lord, God used him literally to change history. His name was Patrick. Patrick, a young Roman who, at the age of 16, was captured in England by Irish pirates. And there in Ireland, he became a slave for an Irish chieftain. After six years, six years of indescribable, horrific circumstances as a slave, he escaped and returned home. But not for long. After a while, he began to sense the call of God upon his life to return back to the very land that enslaved him, to Ireland, as a missionary and as a preacher of the gospel. Behind him was a collapsed wreck of a Roman civilization. In front of him, there was a fierce, wild natives of Ireland. Patrick had no security. Where did he get security from? Not from the human point of view, anyway. He did not have a mission board that would support him. He didn't go out and send out fundraising letters so they can get personal support and nobody to ask. He did not have prayer teams praying for him as he is in Ireland working. No. No financial support whatsoever. Ah, the only thing he had was obedience to the call of God upon his life. And in 30 years' time, laboring under most horrendous circumstances, God used him to change that entire pagan society. Thomas Cahill said the following. He said, as Roman lands went from peace to chaos, because of Patrick's preaching, the land of Ireland was going from chaos to peace. If I did not believe that God is ready to hear the cries of His children, I would have had a million other things to do with my life. Instead of cursing the darkness, He lit a candle. Instead of cringing from the challenges of life, He faced them head on. Instead of wringing his hands at what is happening to society, he made Christ known. Patrick died at the age of 76, but not until he was used of God to do some great things. Again, you would ask, what kind of strength did this man have? Where did he get his strength? Well, instead of giving you an answer paraphrased. Let me give it to you in his own words. His own words. Here's what he said. I rise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guide me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from the snares of devils, uh, from temptations and or vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill, Christ to shield me today against poison, against burning, against drowning, against wounding, so that they may come to be abundance of reward. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, 
when I lie down, when I sit down, and when I rise, I rise today through a mighty strength. And that's all he had. That's all he had. But that's everything. Beloved, let me tell you, true security, true safety comes when God is at the center of your life, when you are at the very center of His will. Father, we're not overwhelmed with the flood of troubles. We're overwhelmed with Your grace that is available to us when we cry to You. Lord, I would shudder to think how we can face world's troubles without You. But Father, we thank You that for those who trust in You are like Mount Zion. They are unshakable. Not only that, Father, but You promised that four mountains from every corner surrounding us. Your arms are surrounding us. Our salvation is sure. Our salvation is secure. Our life is hidden Christ. And therefore, we seek only your glory. It is in Jesus' name that I pray.